Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Here comes Esteban Chavez. Pelo Bilbao opens up the sprints. Esteban Chavez, the Colombian, on the wheel of Zimmerman, all the way to the line. Pelo Bilbao wins for Bahrain victorious. Yes, Palo Bilbao, a big win in stage 10 of the Tour de France overnight. Australians very prominent, remaining very prominent. West Australians remaining very prominent. And to talk us through all that, Olympic gold medalist and cycling commentator Scott McGrory joins us on the show. Scott, welcome. Thanks, Mark. Great to be having a chat. And yeah, Western Australian cyclists. Wow, how good are they going at the moment? So all three of the main guys, Jai Hindley, obviously, third overall. Ben O'Connor last night, third in the stage. And your sprinter, Sam Wellsford, in his first ever Tour de France. All three of them, 27 years of age, all from Perth and all absolutely flying in France. So how has this come about, Scott? Is it, uh, is it just coincidence <laughs> or has there been a good cycling program being run over here? You might have to talk to the uh, the people at the Western Australian Institute of Sport because they've all come through that sort of program, um, you know, through the development racing here in Australia. But I don't know. Look, you look at Luke Durbridge is another one prominent. Um, Cameron Meyer and his brother Travis earlier on as well. You've had so many good athletes come out of Western Australia. Uh, Ryan Bailey, go back years ago on the track, two-time Olympic gold medalist in the sprint. So you've always been producing good um, good athletes, good cyclists. Maybe it's the weather. You have incredible weather in Perth. Maybe it's the, it's the weather to get out and ride bikes when it's the sun is shining all the time over there. Very considerate drivers over here too, Scott. We always get out of the way of the cyclists when we're driving around the roads. <laughs> well, hopefully the cyclists are considerate as well. It goes both ways, doesn't it? So Jai Hindley remains third overall. Tell us on your expectations for him going forward in this Tour de France. Well, firstly, the, the other day when he um, won the stage, you know, that was a really interesting situation where everybody knew that he won the Tour of Italy last year. He was one of the... Say warm favourites behind the big two contenders. You know, today Pogaccia and Jonas Vingugo, they are the two big favourites for this year's race. But then there was a group of riders, which included Jai, that they were all looking at as well. However, he still had the um, the nous to go into a breakaway group, steal some extra minutes over those guys, and that's what's put him up into third place overall. The big test now is when we get into the Alps. We have to wait now to see how he goes when they get into the big mountains. But you got to say there is there is a, there's sort of two big races happening at the moment: the race for the two big guys to try and win the race overall, and then the best of the rest, those trying to get onto the podium in third place. Look, anything can happen: crashes, illnesses, it can all change. But you know, barring any major incident, that's the way it sort of seems at the moment. There's a race in two for the win between those two big guys, and then for that final spot on the podium. And at the moment, Jai is really in contention to hold that third place for now. So he is looking really strong compared to those riders in fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, just behind him. What sort of climber is he, Scott? Because obviously, the Alps is uh, what sorts the men from the boys in the Tour de France. Yeah, well, that is his strongest uh, attribute. That's what won him the Tour of Italy last year. So we, we've seen that, you know, he's not matching Jonas and Tade in the high mountains, 
But all he has to do is be better than all the others behind him, and that keeps him on the on the podium, looking towards Paris. So, look, he is a very good climber. Um, I know you don't have any massive mountains over in uh, in WA, but I guess in Australia there are very few anyway. So uh, the last time I uh, actually worked with Jai, I was the race director for the Jaco Herald Sun Tour. He won that race as well with a couple of the Victorian Alps involved. So he's a good climber. He can really hold his own. Um, but there's just so much that can happen in the uh, the Tour de France. We saw last night with Ben finishing third. That was a brutal stage. It wasn't supposed to be. It was what they see as a transition stage between the you know the flat sprint stages and the big mountain stages. But yesterday, with Category Three and a Category Two climb, it was as hard as any of the stages that we've seen in the Tour de France in recent years. Yeah, it was hot, and they uh, and they attacked right from the start of the race, didn't they? So that made it brutal all the way through. It did, and, and it was brutal for everyone. Like, sometimes you might have the sprinters go off the back and they form what's called the gruppetto or the bus, the last group on the road, and they just have to get to the finish inside the time limit. But everyone that started that stage yesterday was on the limit all the way through. It was just such a tough day. Then they've got to back up again tomorrow. So, And then the next day, then they hit the, the, the mountains. So Friday, Saturday, Sunday are the big mountains as they head towards the Alps, and no one's going to get there fresh. You know, after two and a half or a week and a half of racing, really tough days every day. Um, so it really comes down to the riders like Jai and the top contenders, who can recover the best. Um, they might not be on their absolute best form, but as long as they've recovered better than the other riders as they go through this long race, then they should be able to hold themselves high. Tell us what role the teams play in all of this, Scott, because we always hear as so-and-so has a strong team, so-and-so does not have uh, such a strong team. What role do the other riders in, in a person's team play to help them keep up the front in such a gruelling event as this? Yeah, well, you'll see, so with the yellow jersey, Jonas Vingegaard, he has a super strong team in the Jumbo Business squad, and you'll see them prominent towards the front of the peloton, doing a lot of the chasing, keeping him protected from the wind. But for a rider like, say, Jai Hindley, with his Bora Hansbrewer team, a lot of the work that they do for him, you don't actually see as easily on the coverage because they'll be doing stuff sort of further down the line a little bit. If he needs any uh, fluids or foods, anything like that, what the riders normally have to do is go to the back of the bunch, signal to their team car to come up, then they get a feed from the car, get a bottle out of the window and then make their way back up the peloton. Jai doesn't have to do that. So his teammates will do all of that for him so he can just sit comfortably towards the front of the peloton. If there's any crosswinds, um, you know, the riders have to fight to try and stay out of the wind. His teammates will come up around him and shelter him from the wind to try and nurse him through the stage as best they can to protect him from having to work too hard. So all these little things that they do that it's hard to pick up on the coverage. Um, you know, there are eight riders per team. He has seven riders that are solely dedicated to make his stage as easy as it possibly can be to save energy for when it really matters when they hit the big climbs towards the end of the stages. So if you're Jai Hindley, your tactics from now on in, do you shadow the two big guns and try and stay around them and, and try and get that spot on the podium? Or do you try and attack them at some stage and see if you can knock them off their game or panic them into error and maybe, and maybe steal the whole thing? Well, that'd be great, wouldn't it? I'm sure he's thinking about that. You know, there's a certain level of conservatism that you might need to take in this. A big effort could cost you dearly. Um, the question is, does Jai, is he going to be happy with finishing third if that's how it plays out? Or is he going to risk it for everything and really go for the win and end up maybe blowing up and, and finishing fifth, sixth or seventh? So that's the big question. I think for now, they'll probably look 
at just what this contest is between the pig two riders, Jonas uh, Jonas and, and Tade, because they themselves might be attacking each other so much that one of them could crack. And that could be the opportunity for, for Jai to pounce. If he's feeling good, the deeper we get into this race and one of those other two big riders does falter, he absolutely will go on the attack. Uh, that's for sure. You know, we saw that with his stage win. He wasn't sitting back and following. He wanted to get in the breakaway and really put himself in this race. And that's what he's done. So I think they'll be, they'll, they'll be cautious. They'll play a cautious approach. Keep looking for the riders that are just behind, four, fifth, six. They won't want any of them to go in the breakaway and get an advantage over Jai. But then also be looking forward as well for any opportunity to attack those big two. So um, like it's going to be really exciting. Um, you know, he's such a nice guy as well, as is Ben and Sam, all the guys uh, that I mentioned from WA. Really nice guys. I'm, I'm really pleased to see all those guys doing so well. You mentioned they're all 27, these guys. When does a, a tour rider peak, Scott? Well, that seems to have changed in more recent years. So you see now with Pogaccia, you know, he's only 24 and he's already won the Tour de France twice. You know, you go back a couple of decades, that was unheard of. The riders really needed to mature into their bodies and the longer races and the harder races. But they are so better prepared now at a younger age. The nutrition is better. Their training is so much better. So riders at 20, 21, 22 are already very competitive in modern day cycling. 27, though? still a perfect time. You know, they have another five years pretty much at the top. And remembering that in 2011, Cadell the first Australian to win the Tour de France, was 34. So there's still a nice big window of opportunity for all of those riders. Um, and I just find it amusing that all three of them, uh, at the age of 27, now in, in uh, you know, rock history and music history, that was that sort of infamous age where Jimi Hendrix and... Uh, a lot of the you know the big stars passed away at 27. These guys, they are hitting their stride right now, though, and they've still got another good four, five, six years at the top. Put this in context for us. So Jai Hindley wins a stage at the Tour de France. In the context of a cyclist's career, how big is that? Massive. Now, winning the Tour of Italy is last year. You could say that that's bigger. He, you know, purely in cycling terms, winning a Grand Tour, of course, is that supersedes any stage win in any race. But the Tour de France itself, it's the world's most watched annual sporting event. It is absolutely massive for him. Uh, you know, in terms of financial status, he would have got a big bonus after winning the Tour of Italy last year. But this also bumps it up a little bit more. Um, so his team will be looking to renew contracts, give him more money. If he can finish third or thereabouts, then that really does show the potential that he could win the thing and they will pay him accordingly. Um, so, look, it's just so good to see a rider um, that's you know, a bit of an unsung hero. He's a quiet, uh, you know, unassuming kind of guy, but he obviously has a killer instinct inside him and that's what's driven him to these fantastic victories. So excuse my ignorance here because I know you as a track cyclist and obviously as an uh, Olympic cyclist, but did you ever ride in one of these tours, in a Tour de France? Uh, Tour de France, no, but I was racing on the road, uh, you know, almost a decade or so, doing other races, Tour of Switzerland, Tour of Germany, that next level down of competition. So, um, yeah, it's all pretty similar, um, but I haven't ridden a three-week, thankfully, actually, a three-week <laughs> tour like this. <laughs> Who wants to do it? How brutal is it? Like, when you see them towards the end, how much of a toll does this take on their body, just getting up and doing this every day, day after day for three weeks? 
Yeah, look, it is. It truly is brutal. Now, for the top guys, these are you know some of the best athletes on the planet. So, what it does do though is gives them gives the it's almost like at, like at a cellular level that it just gives them an incredible resilience. And uh, they all talk about riders that have ridden one, two, three Grand Tours. They go to another level, you know, and they just get stronger and more resilient and tougher. Um, so we'll see more of great these great efforts from Jai and, and the like because of this. Sam Wellsford is a, a one that we were really cautious about. I, I'm also a national selector for the World Track Championships for the Australian team, and I was part of the selection group a couple of weeks ago picking Sam to ride the Track World Championships this year. The discussion we had was... At that point, he hadn't been selected to ride the Tour de France for his DSM team. And we were wondering, you know, is that going to be a problem? Can he then bounce back from the Tour de France, his first three-week tour, and still come up and be a super fast athlete that we need him for Australia at the World Championships? And, of course, that question is still to be answered. But at the moment, he even looks as if he's managing himself pretty well. Um, The other great sprinter from Australia is Caleb Ewan. And in yesterday's stage, as brutal as we've spoken about, Sam finished a couple of minutes ahead of Caleb Ewan towards the back of the peloton. But, um, you know, he he seemed... he's, He's not absolutely struggling in the last group on the day. He's one or two groups ahead of that. That, which is showing some real ability from a guy that you know he's built he's built like a rugby player he was a rugby player when he was young but he's still able to get over these mountains so even someone like Sam Wellsford seems to be maturing and growing the longer this race goes on because they do have a, a, a sort of distinctive build don't they the two riders they're almost like um, built up pieces of wire they're so lean and uh, <laughs> um, their power to weight ratios must be incredible I'd imagine so you don't see many of the the burly build in the in the Tour de France no, you don't. And and the ones that are stockier, like Sam, they are the pure sprinters. Uh, Fabio Jakobsen is another one of the top sprinters. Uh, Dylan Grunewagen that rides for the Australian Jayco registered team, they are stocky guys. But in the real world, they're still little. They, they're not big stocky guys at all. It's just that they're uh, you know riding alongside these tour guys that look more like jockeys um, because they are so tiny. I think uh, the other day... It was Jonas Vingegaard on the final climb had a power-to-weight ratio of 6.7 watts per kilogram over 20-something minutes. Um, you know, I can tell you that that's extraordinary. You know, I don't understand how much power can come out of these guys that are so small and so skinny, but that's what makes them the best in the world. How do you expect it to unfold from here? Who's your favourite, and what do you think will be the key stage? 17 seconds between the top two. So Jonas Vingegu is leading with today Pogacar in second. I think on the last couple of days of racing, Cadet looks to be the favourite. Jonas put a bit of time into him on the first mountain stage. And since then, Pogacar has been able to just claw himself back to 17 seconds. And, uh, you know, the last hilltop finish they had, he was clearly the best. He put a bit more time into Jonas. Um, so I think as we get into the high mountains, that's when we'll really get to see. Vingago, he's talking about the big mountains in France being more of his playground. But that could be just confidence as well, trying to, to put it out there that, you know, he's looking forward to what's to come. At the moment, I think Pogaccia is the man that might finish in Paris in first place. And, of course, we're hoping that Jai, if not third, might even be able to climb higher than that. And is there there's still that time trial before they do the ride into Paris? Is that where this basically ultimately gets decided, is it? Well, I think the organisers are hoping that, you know, put it down to, uh, yep. you know, the time trial and make it nail-biting at the end. 
We'll have to wait and see. Who knows? You know, it depends if it's as close as it is now, 17 seconds. I, I don't think that's going to stay in that situation until we get to the time trial. Both the top two are good time trialers. Pagacha, perhaps on paper, is seen to be a better time trialer, so he'll have the advantage on that day. But it's also not a flat time trial. There is a climb. There is a, it's a hillier, a hard time trial as well, over 22 kilometres. That's not Jai's best suit either. So Jai really does need an advantage, uh, regardless of where he sits in the overall classification by that point, he needs a pretty good time buffer over whoever's placed behind him going into that time trial. And that's something that he'll be thinking about as they do go into the mountains, to try and open up more of a time gap to anybody that's just behind him before that time trial. So at the moment it's looking okay. He has, uh, I think it's a minute 40 to the rider in fourth place. That would be enough. If we went into the time trial in positions where they are right now, I'd be putting my house on the fact that Jai would hold on to be in third place by the time we got to Paris. But I tell you, there is so much racing still to come, so many big climbs, uh, crosswinds, crashes, all these things that are still to play out. What's a gettable margin in that time trial from your experience of, of watching this race? Um, like how far, um, how far would Vingegaard have to be clear of Pagacha going into that race to feel like he's got him covered? <laughs> well, if you go back to uh, the first time that um, that uh, Pagacha won the, the Tour de France, he came from behind in the final time trial to beat Primus Roglic. So, and he was seen as a better time trialer than Pagacha at the time. At the end of a three-week tour, it's not the same as a normal one-day time trial. So you can throw out what we've seen on paper of who's the best time trialer. It's who's still got the legs after all those days of racing. I think Jonas would want something like 50 seconds to a minute to be confident that he could hold off Pogaccio in that final time trial. And even then, that's no guarantee. It's it's fairly short, over 22 kilometres. Um, but, yeah, there's no guarantees when when you're talking about the end of a three-week Grand Tour. One more before I let you go. How is the state of Australian cycling at the moment? We've always been historically strong and one of the world's strongest cycling nations. How are we tracking at the moment? I was talking about this with a friend earlier today because, look, recently, well, yesterday, I think it was, uh, that the Jaco Alula team uh, made an announcement. They are partnering with a smaller team from the United States as a you know, feeder or development team. And I thought that was interesting because if you look at the stats right now, this year's Tour de France, there are 12 Australians in the tour. There are only six Americans. We've got a population of, what, around 26 million. They've got over 300 million. Yet we have twice as many cyclists in the Tour de France this year. So that on its own is a good indication of how good Australian cycling is. Now, that said, domestically, the racing scene in Australia, and I'm the race director for the National Championships and the Jaco Herald Sun Tour, as I've mentioned, and I do a lot of work for Oz Cycling at the National Road Series events, and we're not at our best. We are struggling to have our domestic scene really flourish, yet we have developed so many good athletes. So that's something we've got to be really cautious of going forward. We do need more money to develop the program here in Australia to guarantee that we have more Ben O'Connors and more Jai Hinleys and more Sam Wellsfords in the next 10 to 15 years. So there's a little bit of work to do, but right now we're in a good place because of the work that had been done previously. We just need to keep up the good work going forward to guarantee we have more athletes coming through. So did we get the boom we thought we'd get off Cadell Evans winning the the Tour de France in cycling, or did that not quite happen? No, I think we did, but it wasn't, you know, an overwhelmingly long boom. It certainly did peak, and and I've seen some people, uh, you know, young guys coming through now named Cadell. 
Cadell Evans was the first Cadell I'd ever heard of, and now there's a few more Cadells popping up in the cycling scene that clearly their parents named uh, after named their their children after Cadell Evans himself. So, and and there was an influx in terms of recreational cycling. I know from Clubland, and uh, you talk about you know riders um, domestically racing and Grand Fondo events, mass participation events. There was a real little there was a peak bit of a boom after Cadell. Um, that the window of opportunity perhaps faded slightly. Um, so, you know, we've, we've always been waiting for that next Tour de France contender to try and ride that wave. Um, and I think nationally we probably didn't invest enough off the back of Cadell's win to really capitalise on that. So now we're trying to build back up again. We almost had it with Richie Port. He finished third at the Tour a couple of years ago. And then now we're you know, possibly going to get it with Jai if he can finish on the podium as well. So answer to your question, yeah, I think there was a boom, but it didn't last that long. Scott McGrory, Olympic gold medalist, cycling commentator. We're fascinated watching the Tour de France at the moment. I must admit, um, I sp- I'm spending more time watching the Tour than Wimbledon at the moment, which is unusual for me. <laughs> thanks for joining us on the show, Scott, and uh, and good luck with the rest of the call on the Tour. Uh, thanks, Mark. Good luck to all the Aussies. Uh, the, uh, not just the Aussies, but the Western Australians doing so well. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. There's a lot of riding to be done over here. There's big distances between places. Scott McGrory has uh, joined us on the show today. What do you think? You can have your say on the temperate bedshed text line on 0487 736 736. Give us a call if you want to on the open line on 13 12 55. We're coming to you live from the Toolkit Depot studio. Don't forget to shop winter at TKD and we'll be back after the break.